Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Fam, I thought I was going to come in here today and like make a bunch of jokes about Carter Hart having the poops. And uh, suddenly, things happened. Oscar Limblom got an extension. There's a lot of things going on over in Flyerland. They're playing scrimmages. I'm watching what looks like in-house hockey on my iPad and loving it. So let's just get right to this thing, because it's training camp. It's here. We got to work off the rust. Let's get in shape. Let's start it off with Bucket of Cucumbers herself, Stephalicious <laughs> D. Steph Driver. I do have a bucket of cucumbers in front of me. Um, I... I'm so like I I don't even have the emotions the the words to fit the emotions that I'm feeling right now about Oscar Lindblom. Like we thought that this kid was going to die. Like we thought he was going to die. And he just got a new contract extension. Not only did he beat cancer, but he's going to play hockey again. Asterisk probably. Like that's amazing. That's amazing and I I could sob right now just thinking about it. Yeah, we're going to obviously get into the details of the Limblom contract and all the all the news that came with it today. Uh, but just emotionally, like, I, I saw the alert on my phone and just went, God damn, like, that's awesome. Good for you. Like, I, awesome. I'm so glad he's going to be here. I'm so, so, I'm so glad it's a long-term thing. There's a commitment both ways. Seems like a good deal. I'm just happy for him. Three years. My God. Yes. And from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. You know, with this whole Phase 3, you know, and I'm speaking as a journalist here, like, I was legitimately wondering what there was going to be to write about because, you know, we don't have access to the locker room and all this. Um, You know, there's only so many times you can write a story about how weird things are with regards to playing in the summer and playing with social distancing requirements and wearing masks and things like that. There's only so many of those stories you can write. So I was legitimately thinking, like, the weeks leading up to this, you know, how am I going to produce enough articles? Well, I don't know if every team is like this, but it seems like for the Flyers, there's been just, like, something interesting happening every single day. Like, there hasn't been a day where it's just been boring. Like, today was the first day where I'm, I'm watching practice, and I'm like, yeah, you know, there's nothing really going on. And then the Flyers up and sign Oscar Limbaugh to a three-year contract extension. Like, give the Flyers this. They are making sure that this, like, week-and-a-half period of ramping up and Phase 3, it hasn't been the least bit boring. No, and I'll I give was... it to, uh, I'm glad Kevin Hayes uh, basically has been listening to BSH Radio and, and called out the uh, the top 20 centers list from last year. That made my day yesterday, so that was perfect. God. He is just, he is back in mid-season form. Like, just jumped right back into it. I was never really worried about being bored because we're fans of the Philadelphia Flyers. Like, we cover the Flyers. They've never been boring except for when Dave Haxtell was around, but then there was, was still say, plenty to talk about. I think everybody here has been to a Dave Haxtell press conference. The Flyers very well can be boring. Right, but there was still plenty to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah, sure. There was just stuff Charlie, to yell about. Charlie, you mentioned just like... <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned how weird the summer is and everything. You were worrying about that content. But to that point, how's the ice been over there? Because it's like 150 degrees outside. Um, I haven't heard too many complaints. I think there was like one day where a player noted that the ice wasn't great. I think it was for the Saturday scrimmage. Um, the closest thing I've gotten to someone like noting about the, I guess, the atmosphere 
um, the ice, things like that, is the fact that Jake Voracek just decided to ditch his visor, and somebody asked him why, and he's like, because it's hot out there. <laughs> it's like, okay, Jake. <laughs> That's outstanding. Why? Why do you think it's fogging up? Uh, so we're, I was going to come in, and my whole, th- yeah, my whole thing was going to be, it's the Carter Hart panic hour. Uh, because on the last show, I said how I was looking forward uh, to there being no injury updates because people will freak out. And then, uh, you know, of course, yesterday, we get the uh, the Carter Hart scare. So I accept full responsibility for that. That one's on me. Uh, sorry, everybody. I made that happen. Yeah, but, good job, idiot. But Elaine Vigneault did say, uh, I would say to you I'm not concerned regarding Carter Hart. My only concern with that is, that is exactly what somebody who is actually concerned would say. They want to temper your, your, your panic, you know? They're going to play music on the, on the Titanic before the ship goes down. But no, I don't actually think anything's wrong. It seems like everyone said it was just, uh, it's just precautionary, so we're all good on that front, I suppose. No need to panic. No need to dedicate the show to Carter Hart panic. I mean, we can, because... There's always, it's always worth panicking over when your goalie isn't practicing after having four months off. We can definitely consider panicking, but um, the the rumor yesterday was that he just had some minor back spasms. Whether we can confirm that, we absolutely cannot because we're not supposed to know what these injuries are. But if it's minor back spasms and he decided, nah, not going to play through it, like, I'm here for you, buddy. You're doing good. Yeah, I think it's worth noting that, um, so he obviously, he began the scrimmage uh, yesterday, uh, played for a few minutes, and then left the ice. Like, he was playing very poorly in that scrimmage, and it very well may have just been a situation of, like, I didn't think this was that big of a deal. It's hampering me more than I thought it would, so I might as well just get the hell out of there. Because he gave up one goal in the beginning of the scrimmage. It was just this, like, really weird, bad-angle shot by Kevin Hayes that, like, it went in, and everybody that was watching just kind of looked at each other like, did he just let that in? Because it was just such, like, a non-Carter Hart-type play. And maybe it was just one of those things where, you know, it is minor, but it was hampering him more than he thought it was going to, so he just figured might as well, you know, play it safe, get it checked out. Um, but it did seem not only was there that, that rumor about the back spasm, the back spasms, um, after practice yesterday, uh, multiple players were asked about it and obviously they can't give specifics. Um, but none of them seemed worried. Like they were all just like, no, I, I'm pretty sure he's going to be fine. So granted they could be lying, but like those sort of things go around the locker room pretty quickly. Like, Hey, is Carter okay? And there was no real panic in anybody's like tones or what they said. So I'm choosing to believe that it's, it's pretty minor, but he did, he did miss practice again today. So it's something, but I don't think it's going to, you know, I don't think it's good. It's something that's going to linger into the bubble. Let me put it that way. Yeah. It seems like one in order, like optimistically, it just seems like, he didn't get stretched out all the way or something. They Everyone said he just never was comfortable. And that happened. Like, he hasn't... This is probably the longest he's gone without playing competitive goalie since he was, like, eight. And now he's got to get his body back into it. So, it's... This is going to happen. It doesn't seem like anything to really worry about. We'll talk about the goalie situation more a little later. Let's get into this Limblom, Limblom contract extension, though. Announced today... Three years, uh, three million average annual value. Quick math: three times three, nine million dollars total. 
Uh, he'll still have restricted free agent status when the extension expires. He turns 24 next month. Uh, we all know the year he got off to, 11 goals, 18 points through 30 games prior to his diagnosis. He only had 17 goals last season, so he was on a hell of a breakout pace. The Ewing sarcoma happens. Future is uncertain. All of a sudden, he's ringing the bell, and a couple weeks later, he's signing a fucking $9 million contract contract extension. There was I saw tweets saying he's they're going to try to get him into the bubble, and he's going to practice and be eligible to play. That seems optimistic, but, like, how? How is this happening? Yeah, I think... Um... I think the the thing about this that really jumps out to me the most, and it, it's just it's just com- confirming something that the Flyers have said publicly. But like, it's easy to say something; it's a lot harder to actually put your money where your mouth is. And they clearly did here. Like the fact that this is a three year deal is just like there's nothing that confirms more that the Flyers are convinced that this guy is going to be back. Like, there is no—if there was worry that, like, uh, you know, he's going to try and we're going to say that we're optimistic and we think he's going to be back, but deep down we're skeptical. If there—if that existed, they would have given him a one-year deal because they would have given him a one-year deal. They wouldn't want to have him locked into the cap with the possibility that he may try to come back and decide a month in that I can't do it. Like, they gave him a three-year deal. They think that he is going to be a major part of this team beyond next year into, the, like, the rest of the 2020s. Like, Fletcher literally on his uh, on his presser today, his, uh, his video call, he referred to Oscar Limblom as a foundational piece. Like, that's that's crazy. And the fact that, like, in December, this, this kid had cancer. This kid was diagnosed with cancer, and as Steph said, like, his life was on the line, and now the Flyers are talking about him as, like, a guy they might build around. Amazing. Just amazing. So he's actually, he's in Sweden right now. Um, and and Sweden has not done a good job of controlling coronavirus. No so need to fact- make this political, Steph. All right. The <laughs> fact was, that his doctors... Joke. This was a joke between doctors- Charlie and I before you joined. What? Nothing. Go ahead. Okay. The fact that his doctors think it's okay for him to travel from the United States, shithole, to... Sweden, who's also not doing a good job controlling this virus, um, says really good things about his recovery. Uh, They said in um, one of the articles, I think it was the Sports Illustrated article, that they were going to check on his white blood cell count to see if he could go with um, his girlfriend Alma back to Sweden. And she went without him. Um, So that made just me think that, all right, you know, he's still going to hang out in the United States. But then he flew over and surprised her. And the look on her face was like, oh my God, you're here. Are you going to die? But oh my God, you're here. It was really, really sweet. Um, So he's there and that just like, it, 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 nothing but positivity. Like it, that means his white blood cell count has to be good. Because they let him go over. So now the fact that they're considering putting him into the bubble in Canada, Canada's doing a better job controlling this thing than either Sweden or the United States. And he's going to be in a bubble, getting tested every day, around other people that are being tested every day. I mean, fuck. 
They're going to they're gonna win this whole thing for Oscar Lindblom, even if he doesn't step on the ice once. Just having him around as the rallying point, like, they're, they're just going to do it. They're going to win the whole fucking thing for Oscar. Steph, he's going to step on the ice at least once when he gets handed the Stanley Cup after they win it. God, you're right. You're right. And I am going to sob. Like, I could cry thinking about it right now. Like, it's going to go, the cup is going to go from Claude Giroux right to Oscar Lindblom. Oh, God damn it. No, I can't. I already I already broke down crying. I, was, I told Steph, I broke down crying today watching videos of uh, the Capitals puppy turning one. I can't think about Oscar <laughs> Lindblom getting... I can't think about Oscar Lindblom getting the cup. I won't be able to finish this goddamn show. Um, <laughs> fuck. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yeah, Oscar... We're doing great. We're doing great. Yeah, the, uh, the idea of, of Oscar, like... Joining the team, we saw how the locker room rallied around him, and the idea that he's a foundational piece, like, just forget about all the inspiration and everything. Him as a hockey player, goddamn, he was off to a hell of a start. It's not like he was bad, 17 goals last year, and it was just kind of, is this who he is? Is he a 15-20 to 20 guy, or is he going to be more? And it really seemed like he was going to be a lot more to the point where, his two-way game is so good. If the offense could match it, shit, this is the this is the kind of opportunity you can play this guy on your first line and have you know a JVR down on your third. His presence, his breakout, is what really led to what we called the great depth of this season uh, in the beginning of this year. Really, like his spot in the lineup was so important. If they think that's going to be a foundational piece. Shit, man, this is going to be a good team for a while if he comes back and he comes back the way they're expecting him to. Yeah, I think the Flyers have, like, dreams of having one of Sean Gattere, Oscar Lindblom, and Joel Farabee on each of their top three lines because they see each of them as just, like, the play-driving, do-the-little-things-right type of guy who makes his line mates better. And they just have a dream where, like, one of those guys is going to be on each of their scoring lines. And that's just going to be, like, sort of how they build the lineup is you got these three guys who are those types of players that every team wants, and the Flyers got three of them. And they can have one of those guys on each of their lines. And it, I think they just have this this, this dream that, like, they're going to be this— the, the whole team is going to be this two-way force in part because of guys like Oscar Limbaugh. God, imagine if he was able to finish out this season. Like, that was one of the, out of, I can say this now because he's he's cancer-free, but one of the worst parts about him getting cancer was that we didn't get to see him finish this breakout season. Oh, like, certainly. Obvious, I mean... Obviously, the fact that one of our favorite humans could have died was the worst part, but... On ice, the worst part was that we didn't get to see how this finished. Like, could you imagine what this contract would look like if he was able to play throughout the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's so hard to say because even though I think that, like, I think he's going to come back, you know, you don't know if he's going to be 100% of what he was. I mean, the guy did have, like, a rib removed. So, I mean, it's possible that he might not be exactly what he was. But even if even if the Flyers get, when he comes back, get 90% of what Oscar Lindblom was, this is still a 
like a great contract for the team. But at the same time, you can't blame, like, you can't say the Flyers took advantage of him because he also is coming off cancer. So there's a risk involved for both sides. And to me, this strikes me as a fair deal, even though I have full confidence that in a year or two, we're going to look at this and be like, God, they have Oscar Limblom on a $3 million cap hit. Like, that is really helping them build a, a deep team because I think, by the end of this, he's going to be a $6 million type of type of player. Yeah, for sure. And I wouldn't say that they took advantage of him at all. Uh, when I first heard the contract, up until Bill said it was for $9 million, I thought it was three years, $1 million each. And I was, you know, fine with that. So the fact that it's $3 million AAV, like, that's great. Yeah, when I, when I first saw it, I didn't see AAV. So I was just like, why would he sign... A three-year deal at one million—that seems dumb. And then I looked at—I was like, "Oh no, it's it's nine. It's three AAV." So, yeah, Charlie. A couple of weeks ago, when you and I were just shooting the shit, like talking about what this contract could be, we were saying like, "It seems like an opportunity to just give him a one-year, yeah, one point five or two million dollar deal, something like that, and then see what happens." Both sides seem real confident here. I. This it, it looks nothing but good to me. I mean, it, it seems seems real good for both sides. I'm happy with it. I'm excited for the kid. I mean, I, the idea that he's going to be eligible to play is still insane to me. But it can't hurt to have him around. And it looks like this bubble theory is working. It really might be the safest place, a bubble in Canada. Could be. I mean... We'll see. The bubbles we'll in see. Florida have... seem to be working for the NBA and MLS, and that's fucking Florida. Yeah, that's in Florida. I know. <laughs> it's Florida. Well, we had we had the Voracek scare earlier this week, um, which was not quite a scare, but it was enough of one. Yeah, and I guess right where yeah, and there's two two players. So there were four players who um, were not on the ice today. Um, one was Carter Hart, and we know that's injury related. One was Sean Couturier, and that's baby related so that's good um but there were two other players Connor Bunneman and Carlos Stomenko who did not practice today now they obviously got the just unable to participate designation we don't know why but it's you know you can't the possibility can't be entirely ruled out that it's it's coronavirus related we we didn't talk about the the Couturier baby situation oh I have it Sean, here. C- Sean Couturier is about to have a daughter so, like, there's going to be actually someone on this planet that can call him daddy, and it's going to be legitimate as opposed to the rest of us. I was going to say, like, doesn't doesn't it's... Evgeny Malkin already call him daddy? Like, <laughs> he's got a decade's worth of father experience. Like, it's it's, true, this should it's be true. a breeze. I'm so excited for Sean Couturier. Let's, uh, let's get really to great. the Couturier thing now. We'll come back to the goalies and just skip ahead to Couturier and the Selkie. First of all, since we're talking about the kid... Uh, yeah, Couturier mispracticed. His uh, his wife is having a baby girl today. I am just picturing Couturier and Giroux on, like, baby outings. And I don't know, Oh, man. my God! They're just totally going to do that. It just seems great. Like, this team... I, I really feel like I've, I've watched this team grow up. Like, these are my kids. I feel like I'm becoming a grandfather today with Sean Couturier having a kid, basically. Yeah, no, totally. And Wayne Simmons had a kid around the same time, maybe even the same week or day that Giroux did. So, like, could you imagine the three of them just, like, dadding out, hanging out in the park with all their kids? Like, God, that's... These are our babies. This makes me... This is... I want to have a kid so maybe I can become friends with them. (laughs) You should. 
I think that's the thing here. All right, so back to the hockeying. Uh, Sean Couturier nominated for the Selkie. This is his second time as a finalist. Uh, he finished as the runner-up to Kopitar in 2017-18. Uh, he was sixth in voting last year. This will be his fifth time in the top ten of Selkie voting. Um, I'm just going to come out and say it. I think he's going to win because it's the cool pick. Like Bergeron, we've been there and done that. O'Reilly, he had his 15 minutes. Uh, Coots is going to win because he's the guy everyone's going to want to look smart picking before he goes and dominates these playoffs. I'm telling you. I think, I honestly think he's going to win too. I just think that it's time. It's it's his turn. Uh, yeah. Because he's been so dominant for so long and it's it's his turn. I, I, I think that he's going to win. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly confident that he's going to win. I, I would be let me put it this way: I would be surprised if he doesn't win the award because I agree. I do think that people have the feeling that it's his time. Um, he won the midseason poll uh, by the Pro Hockey Writers Association. He won the end of season athletic poll, and like we're not everybody, but we have a lot of writers. So if you win that, you probably have a pretty good chance of winning the actual award that the athletic writers make up a significant portion of the body that votes on it. Um, and he just had a great year. Like he had a fantastic year, a year where I think if there were any remaining doubters, he silenced them. You know, he's become a guy who I think is getting a lot more respect around the league than he did before. Like he, it was, it was always weird to me that like when the, when players would be asked about the the best two way forwards in the game, that he would never be mentioned by other players. And this year he's starting to be mentioned by other players. Like when they, when they, you know, who, who's really tough to play against? Who's a great shutdown center? It's like, well, obviously Patrice Bergeron and Ryan O'Reilly and Sean Gaturier is really good too. It's like before he wasn't getting that add-in, like, oh yeah, don't forget about Gaturier. He's tough. Now he is. And I think that's just a matter of how long he's been excellent that now people are finally getting it and national people get it. You know, the before there was more of like a local contingent that knew Gaturier was really good, but people in California maybe didn't. I think at this point, everybody knows that Sean Gattari is really good, so he's not getting left off ballots. And truthfully, it helps that the Flyers were good this year. You know, One of the big things that hurt Gattari last year in the Selkie wasn't that he wasn't good. He was really probably just as good last year as he was this year. It's just that last year the Flyers stunk. So no one wanted to vote for a guy for the Selkie on a team that was bad. Well, this year the Flyers are legit contenders, and that takes away that, like, well, if he was so good, why is his team bad? No, the team's really good, and he's probably the biggest reason why it's really good. Well, based on, like, other players and the respect around the league now that he's getting, you said he gets mentioned in that. Do either of you think there's a possibility, like, all right, before it was Barubi, it was Hackstall, it was coaches utilizing him who didn't have that, like, cachet around the league where Elaine Vigneault, if he's using you as a shutdown center, it's because you are. Like, is, can that possibly weigh into it, too? Maybe. That's interesting, and I hadn't thought about that before. Um, It's interesting. I wouldn't say yes. Did, um... Baruby win the Jack Adams last year? No, I don't think so. I think no. it, that was, it was Trot who won it last year. But he was a fi- he, he was a finalist, right? If he wasn't, he probably should. If he been. wasn't, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I guess he didn't. I don't, he didn't I, coach the whole year, but he certainly did a great job. He took over yeah, a last place team. I don't remember. Team, yeah. I was just I was just telling these two for all of the listeners out there. I was just telling these two not to make me remember the season 
from the before <laughs> because I can't remember anything from the before. So now I'm having them think all the way back to last year, and that's just ridiculous. Um, but the whole point of me asking was, you know, Baruby was finally recognized for doing something right, but he was not when he was here. Um, and I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, coaches get better. Like, you know, Bill Belichick wasn't the best coach in football when he coached the Browns. He learned to cheat and became the best coach in football. That's what it but, is. But, <laughs> like, guys get better with their second job. It typically happens, and Barubi obviously is a pretty good coach at this point and has a very good collection of players. Can't, you know, it comes down to the players typically. But I was just, I was just wondering. I do think, like... A lot of these awards, we talk about it a lot with the Norris. Like, it's just kind of someone's time. It's why my prediction was Roman Yossi before the season. Because, like, Shea Weber's gone, and P.K. Subban's gone, and he went from being the most overrated to now he finally gets to be on display. Let's give him his shot. And, you know, obviously he's a finalist. Had a very good year, but I feel like a lot of these awards are given sometimes because it's somebody's turn. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's Couturier's turn. I think it was two years ago, if we're being really honest. Yeah, it was like two years ago with, with Giroux, with the year he had, it was kind of like, eh, you know, which one is it? And then last year the team was just so bad, no one was winning any awards. And now, yeah, I mean, the team being good is why he's a finalist. Um, what would you say is the one quality? Like, we just love Sean Couturier. We're Sean Couturier fans. Like I said, we watch this guy grow up. Uh, we want him to win the award because why wouldn't we? But what is the, like, if you had to give it one quality, what's the thing he does better than anyone that he's deserving of this award? Um, I would say, to me, the thing that he does the best um, is he just improves his line mates. Like, he makes his line mates better for the sole reason that they are on the ice with Sean Gaturier. Like, I don't know. I mean, he's obviously great defensively. He's obviously really smart. Um, you know, somebody like Bergeron maybe is like, you know, he does more stuff defensively that you, that wows you. Whereas all Gaturier does is just finds ways to put his line mates in position to succeed. And I don't know if I've seen a player in the NHL right now that does that better than Sean Gaturier. I like Charlie's answer a lot. I think the Flyperbole guys call him the doctor or something Yeah, like well, well because... one time this season, Vigneault referred to him as Dr. Coots. Oh, there it is. Just makes everyone better. Oh, that's good. Um, oh, that is good. I like that. I like, you know, he just doesn't give the other teams any space. Like, there's just no room for them to do anything. And I love that about him. That's And that's, I was going to, like, compliment the way Charlie composes his articles. Like, obvi- you put a lot of videos in your articles, Charlie. And, like, some of them will be a highlight play. Like, oh, this happened. It was a big play. Watch this play. But so much of what Sean Couturier does well is so subtle that when you said Bergeron, like, does more stuff, it really is, like Steph said, because there's no opportunity when Couturier's out there. Like, you watch the so many of the videos that Charlie will put in an article of Couturier are, like, 
just he was in the perfect right position on his side of the red line in the neutral zone to just break up a pass and you know why like maybe the possession numbers aren't that great it's because that was his only job there he had to break up that pass and uh like it, they didn't he didn't get a chance to take away a scoring chance because he made play go the other way and that's just he just seems to for a guy who doesn't have the greatest foot speed he doesn't get beat in those regards. When he takes a chance, he intercepts the pass. Like, it's very... He is. It is it is so much comes down to intelligence and instinct with him. Yeah, he's the kind of guy where, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting about, like, players who are fun to watch. Because, you know, we, we talk about, like, obviously, Connor McDavid is fun to watch. And he is. And obviously, he plays the game at a different speed than any other hockey player alive. Um, with maybe the exception of McKinnon, but even he pales in comparison to McDavid. But, like, there is an element of subjectivity when it comes to which players are fun to watch because, to me, Sean Couturier is incredibly fun to watch, even though he's not flashy. I love watching him play hockey because of how many little things he does well, and you can watch him for a shift, and then you really start to see all the stuff he does or all the stuff he doesn't do that allows his team to succeed. And it's just, I feel like he's the kind of guy where hockey junkies really, really enjoy watching Sean Couturier play. And I think that's that's a testament to his style and just how good of a player he is. Oh, and the other, the other thing I wanted to say about him, why he has the chance to win now. We know how important that faceoff stat is. He worked his way up on that face-off stat. He's even better than Drew now. You know, they always <laughs> tell us he's number one in the league. All he had to do was win more face-offs, and he's going to win this fucking thing. <laughs> Did you check on NHL.com? I, I actually forgot to check on NHL.com to verify his place <laughs> in the standings before this. I know all year they said he was in the top three. I'm just saying he's number one. If I'm wrong, I don't care. Suck it. Uh <laughs> Remember, so, remember when I'm just going to do a little little Couturier reminiscing. And sorry, Steph, we're going to talk a little bit about the season. Remember the game uh, in in Jersey when no. he had a shoulder injury and he didn't take like any shots because he was basically playing with one arm. And then he yeah. scored the game winning goal in the shootout by doing the Forsberg, so he didn't have to shoot. He just dragged it around. The yeah, goalie. he didn't have to use his I arm. I do yeah. remember that. Like, that I was do remember like, that. Like, that was amazing. And, and that's, it's, it's going to be so cool to see him get rewarded for this season because he was awesome. He took a, he took a few more penalties, especially at the beginning of this season, than, uh, than he really has in, throughout a lot of his career. But I've always been really impressed by his ability to match up against the other team's best center and not spend a ton of time in the box, especially considering, again, not the fastest skater like... He does a real good job. We talked before the season. I thought he had an outside chance at Lady Bing. Uh, in the beginning of the year, he got called for a bunch of stuff that he typically doesn't. Uh, but he's real good at walking that line of using his stick, taking it down. Like His job is one that would be penalized quite a bit, and here he is. He, he really doesn't spend a ton of time in the box. The world would have been a better place if he was considered for the Lady Bing. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, considering... I'll I'll leave that my comment at that. Considering the names they chose. 
Yeah. It's uh yeah, but again, who cares about the Lady Bing? No one I, no I, one even wants it. So it doesn't I, really I, matter. I could see him at some point getting consideration. Like he would yeah. he would need to have a year cuz like you're right he doesn't take that many penalties, but like he still takes some. He yeah. need, he would need to have a year where he finished with like 15 penalty minutes. And like it could happen. And if it does, then yeah, he he's absolutely the type of player that, you know, the voters tend to vote for because it's basically like who is good and also doesn't take penalties. That's pretty much how most voters look at the Lady Bing. Yeah, um, so they named the, uh, they did the top 20 centers again, and Couturier came in at 18th. I did see that on NHL.com today. Still um, low. It's low, but like, when, you know, a list is a list. Like, Sean Couturier just still isn't the sexy name that other guys are. Um, like, he's better than Jonathan Taves. I'm sorry, he is. But, of course he is. You know. He's Johnny. Is that he's even a, maybe I don't not, even yeah. know. Yeah. Now. Maybe, maybe yes, not Jonathan right Tate this moment. Yeah. eight years ago, but certainly now. Yeah. I don't even know if he made the list. I just assume he did. I didn't really look at it. I just wanted to make sure he made it this time. Uh, 18th. You know, that means he's got 17 guys ahead of him that he still needs to victimize. That's how I see it. Yeah. He did take. He did seem to take exception to it the way he was playing early in the season against all the guys listed, you know, on that oh, list. Yeah. And then definitely. All right. So the Flyers have Couturier up for the Selkie, and they have uh, Av up for the Jack Adams. Who do you think has a better case for their respective award? Who? Um. I think, I mean, I think both of them should win. If we're being really honest, I think both of them should win. Um, but probably Couturier, just because it's, like I said, it's his turn. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. Like, to me, if if A.V. doesn't win the Jack Adams, I won't be mad. If Sean Couturier doesn't win the Selkie, I will be mad. So, like, If Sean Couturier doesn't win the Selkie, we're rioting. <laughs> Okay. I feel like, like Av. I think Couturier deserves it more, but Vigneault like has less competition. If that makes sense, like the guys Vigneault is up against, and I, I even said last week I, I, I didn't think he was gonna win, but I just, I don't know. I just see, uh, I just see Av like being the headliner. Whereas Couturier has to beat two guys who have a great case for the award. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess the way I look at it is, like, if, if John Tortorella wins the the Jack Adams, I won't be angry. Like, if he beats A.V., because I think he has a very good case as well. Um, whereas, even if Ryan O'Reilly, who I think has the second best case uh, after Couturier wins, I'll be annoyed. I'll be legitimately annoyed. Yeah, because, like, who, you got your cup. Leave me alone. Let me have these <laughs> awards. We ask for so little. I know. We ask for so little. Just give our coach the trophy. Give our couturier the selkie. That's all I want. And then the con Smythe, and then the cup, you know, third. Naturally, naturally. And then, in a, but, and then in a couple years, the Norris for Provy. One thing at a time. One thing at a time. Now, Norris is, uh, he's just going to be the guy who constantly finishes third for the Norris, but racks up like three cups, so it doesn't matter. Carter Hart for the Vesna. Give him another three years. Why not? Why not us, right? All right, great segue there, Steph. So I'm going to go back to talking a little goalies. Carter Hart, we we talked about maybe it was back spasms. It just seemed like some sort of mild discomfort, and everyone's telling us, don't worry, he'll be fine. Is the impression that you're getting, Charlie, anybody, like, 
Is it that Hart is the guy heading into the playoffs? Because that's what he is in my mind. I assume, Steph, in your head, Hart is the guy they're going to ride for this thing. What, what, what are you getting like around, the, uh, around at practice, Charlie? Yes, Carter Hart is, is definitely the guy. Um, and Elaine Vigneault actually today flat out said that. So here is the quote from today that I'm reading from the transcript that the Flyers sent us. I do believe that Carter, the way he played throughout the year and how he improved throughout the season, has earned the right to start in the playoffs. That being said, though, we have four games until then. There's no doubt that Brian Elliott is going to play in those four games. In my mind now, Carter is the guy. So there you go. Carter's the guy. Conversation over. (laughs) He's the guy. All right. And that's... When we talk about the guy, that means game one of the actual thing we're calling the playoffs, not the round robin. So, obviously, they're going to use this exhibition and the round robin to get everyone to work out the kinks, make sure there's no, you know, lingering issues, get it, knock off the rust for everybody. How would you like to see the goalies, like, should they just straight split the four games, those two? Do you think Lion gets into a game... How do you think, how do you see the goalie situation working itself out in the in the exhibition in the round robin? I think they need to split two and two just to get just to get both of them into game shape. It's so few games before games that actually matter. Um, yeah, they they need they need to split them. Like, do you think it should be two full games apiece? Like yeah. in my head, maybe. Like, you got to get in the game shape, though. Play the full 60, I guess. Because I'm thinking, like, all four games change goalies at the halfway mark. Maybe. No, I wouldn't do that. I mean, they, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if they do something like that. But I'm kind of with Steph in that I almost rather just be like, give each goalie the full game and then just switch them off. Um, especially because, the, like, the round-robin games matter. Like, they do matter. And I understand the Flyers have decided they're going to use them, you know, more as, like, a testing ground than, like, we have to win these no matter what. But I do believe that if you you play Carter Hart for the first half of that game and then pull him in games that matter, the message it sends to the team is that these games are just preseason games. And while they are, you know, not playoff games, you still want to win them. So I feel like, you know, it just... It, it, it cheapens the importance of the game, I believe, for the players if you go that route. Whereas if you just, you know, if you're going up against Boston, you just tell the players Brian's in net today. Like, it's just like a normal day. Like, it's a normal game that Brian Elliott happened to get the start for. Like, it's not it's not a exhibition preseason fake game. It's a real game that Brian Elliott just happened to start. What sort, like, how long do you think Carter Hart's leash is in this thing? I have confidence in him. I don't even want to have this discussion because he's going to, you know, just shut out every game and we're going to cakewalk through this thing. But that has not been our, uh, you know, history in this town. Uh, Like, what do you think, what does it take for him not to start, like, one of the playoff series games? This is how you know hockey is back. In Philadelphia, because Bill is already trying to stir up a goal. No, I'm just, I'm just trying to, like, I want Carter Hart to start and finish every game of the playoffs, no matter what, because it'll be good for him in the long run. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's in between, his career will be better if he just plays a bunch of playoff games. But, since they think they have a chance to win the Cup this year, if he has one of his, 
little breakdowns that he has sometimes. Like, is he not in the next game? Charlie said we're we're calling him the guy. So the guy means if you get pulled in game two, you're still starting game three. Is that what we're looking at? Hold, hold on. That little thing that you said is absolutely ridiculous. The little breakdowns that he has sometimes. Are you talking about this one season where he just stopped being able to play well on the road for whatever no, not, stupid reason? Not even on the road. He just had, he's he's had like a string where he just, his angles aren't right. He's just not quite right. And then he figures it out and he's totally fine. Like, are we going to play him through that? Or is well, it? Do you, so here's the other question that I have for you. Do you feel better about the chances of a cold Brian Elliott? And that's why I'm I'm interested in the utilization of each goalie in the round robin in the exhibition game. So the answer was no, right? Uh, I know. You know how I feel about Brian Elliott. I like the guy. Right. I think he's a warrior. I think he's a perfect backup. Do I want him starting a playoff game? I I, I really do not. Right. Yeah, my, my answer to this, Bill, is that I really don't think that they would turn away from Carter Hart, like Laviolette with Bobrovsky style after a bad game. Like, yeah. it's plausible to me that, like, if the Flyers go down 3-0 and yeah, Hart okay. is the primary reason why they lost multiple games, then, yeah, maybe they figure, all right, let's, let's you know— go to the nuclear option and throw Brian Elliott out there. Maybe Hart just doesn't have it this playoff run. But I, I don't think this is going to be a situation where Hart has one bad game and they they switch to Elliott. I think, and, and this, this goes back to as well, the way they're looking at this postseason for Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers. I believe the Flyers obviously want to win. They obviously want to win the cup. You know, you have a chance to win the championship. You got to take it. You don't know how many of these you're going to have. But I think they're viewing this playoff run for the young guys on the team, they're viewing this playoff run as something that will help. It's going to have developmental value years down the road. Certainly. Like, Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers will be better in future playoffs if we give them a big role in this playoff. Even if they make some mistakes, we're willing to accept that because in the 2022 playoffs, they will have a better idea of what they need to do to succeed when they're getting 24 minutes a night in the playoffs because they're the new workhorses of the defense. And I think they view it the same for Carter Hart, that like if Carter Hart has a bad playoff run, it sucks. I mean, it sucks that the Flyers losing the first round because Carter Hart has a bad, a bad series. That would be bad. But it's better for him to take his lumps now because you're going to have him for hopefully the next 15 years. Let him learn now. Let him let him learn the right mentality or like or what mentality he shouldn't be in for the playoffs. Like this is the kind of shit that you need to learn as a player, and the only way you're going to learn it is by doing it. And I think they realize that, and they're going to let these young players do it, which is a such a nice change of pace from the Dave Haxtell, Ron Hextall era, by the way. Silver lining. If he has a mediocre playoff, maybe he gets the AAV on that contract extension down a little bit. <laughs> you never know. No, nah, they're going to win the cup, and he's going to get the Carey Price contract, and I'll be okay with it. It'll all be fine. All right, guys. Uh, Kelly's not here to yell at me to take a break, uh, so we're going to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> with 15 minutes left in the show, we're going to take a break and then be back on the other side to talk about how I want to dress seven defensemen. Okay, everybody, we are back. I hope you really enjoyed that commercial. I bet it was a great one. Uh, so, yeah, I'm thinking maybe the Flyers should dress seven defensemen. What do you think? 
Can you ex- no. can you explain why? Because I think Ghost and Hag will have a better impact than the twelfth forward, whoever that is. So, um, no, and and this is why you need someone to score goals. And while I yeah, don't they're not going to sit anybody agree, who, does, who scores the goals. Shut up. Let me talk. I don't necessarily think that that's going to be Connor Bonneman. Um, I think that it's a better chance that Connor Bonneman scores a goal than Robert Haig. Now, there's also a much better chance that Shane Gossesbear scores a goal than Connor Bonneman. So I see where you're coming from. I just wouldn't do it. Yeah, I guess my thing is that I would be more open to the idea if the Flyers didn't have such great forward depth. But they have 12 good forwards. I like, know. It, like if, they were, if they were rolling a fourth line with Yuri Laterra and Dale Weiss, I would be all on board with this. But like, I don't know if I want Michael Roffel out of the lineup. Or Tyler Pitlick out of the lineup. Like these are good players that very well could score big goals in the postseason. And as much as I do want Shane Gossesbear in the lineup, because number one, the upside, number two, he's actually looked really freaking good at camp. Like it's it's surprising how good he's looked. And I know obviously fans aren't there, so it, you just kind of have to take this on faith. But he's looked very good. And Vigneault has said on multiple occasions that Ghost has kind of surprised him with how how strong he's looked. So I get wanting him in the lineup. I just don't – I feel like the, one of the Flyers' biggest advantages of, of, as a team is their forward depth, and I don't want to cut into that purposely. You know what I mean? I get it. I just like the way – the way – you're going to utilize your best players the most, and like I just feel defensemen, they play so many minutes. It's uh, – the mixing and matching with seven is better. But, yeah, it's, it, it is – I realize, especially with the way our center depth works – it's a little tough because, like, the 12th guy could very well be Derek Grant. And then, all right, now we only have three centers in the lineup. And now I'm putting Giroux at center for some shifts. And I don't love that. But it's. I get that there are issues with it. But I just see, like, Robert Haig, I think, played better than I ever expected him to this year. Do I think he's, like, you know, a, a very good NHL player? Obviously, no. I do want, like, I've heard Vigneault talk so much, heard, I've read quotes so much from him and from the media uh, praising how Gostas Bear has looked, and we talked a lot last week about how we think Ghost has to win the spot over Haig, who probably has the leg up coming into camp and everything. Um, I want, like, Haig carved out a a spot for himself in the lineup. I want to know how much... That's A.V. trusting him versus he had to play him because Ghost just sucked this year and it turns out, oh, well, his knee was fucked up. Um, Like, if he trusts him and really wants Haig in the lineup and Ghost looks good, I just think we're better with seven defensemen than than with 12 forwards. But if Ghost just beats him out, awesome. Yeah, I think think the the Haig-Ghost battle... um... For if that's what you want to call it. I guess it is a battle now. I don't know if it truly was a battle during the regular season after Ghost came back because the Flyers were rolling and coaches don't generally change lineups when a team is playing like the best team in hockey. Um, but I think one of the things that probably maybe wasn't publicized enough, and I'm partially to blame for this, uh, regarding Haig and regarding why 
he stayed in the lineup even after Ghost came back was just the nature of what they wanted that third pair to do. Like, the Braun-Hague pair, it was not a great pair from an analytical standpoint by any means. Like, I think they had, like, a 44% Corsi, and they were, like, 49% expected goals, which actually 49% for a third pair isn't terrible. You could do better, but it's not terrible. That said, the one thing they were objectively good at was preventing scoring chances like they were the the flyers were below water from a shot and chance differential standpoint because they just didn't create that much but they didn't allow much either and i have a feeling that the coaches may have looked at it and been like well we put the third pair on the ice because we can trust that like that's a that's a 40 second shift when we don't really have to worry about the other team creating much like it's almost like a time for everybody to catch their breath yeah, And I have a feeling that that might be why they like that pair, even though they knew it wasn't, like, this amazing pairing. And the thing is, if you put Shane Gossespierre in a third pair, like, that's not Ghost. Ghost is going to make stuff happen. Ghost is going to make good stuff happen. Ghost sometimes is going to make bad stuff happen. So you're not going to put Ghost on a pair and expect it to be a defensively oriented pair. That's just not Shane Goss's pair. So if that's what they want the third pair to be, then it's going to be hard for Ghost to get in. If they're willing to look at the third pair as maybe changing up what they're asking it to do, that's when Ghost becomes a much better fit, in my opinion. That's I just like I we we went over this a bit last week like the numbers uh, Ghost and Braun together weren't very good, yeah. but it just seems like if they're both operating at, like at a at their at at a hundred percent or as as healthy as they could be like Braun we know when he's on the ice the other team doesn't get scoring chances whether he's with Haig or anybody else that's Braun's career that's what he does he doesn't allow scoring chances but it's also where offense goes to die. You just don't score when he's on the ice because that's not what he's out there to do. If you introduce a little bit of ghost into this, boom, now offense isn't dead because after Braun clears the porch, there's someone to work the breakout and we're going the other way. In theory, but in, in reality, that's not how it works. I know. I now, also theory, love the idea, I've always loved the idea of Ghost as a penalty-killing winger. I really think no, there's something that. to we've, that. We've known you for many years. We know that you want Ghost at wing. I don't want him at wing at five on five. Just on the penalty kill. I think he'd be <laughs> great at it. Okay. You put extra you put extra forwards out on the power play. Why wouldn't you put extra defensemen out on the penalty kill? It makes sense. I'm not disagreeing with you, except that our penalty kill has been really fucking good this season. And it could be better. Could it? (laughs) I don't know. There's teams ahead of them. All right. It's been really good, and it's been, like, but, you know, and it's been phenomenal at points. But really, when you're the worst for, like, half a decade, if they just were 20th this year, it would have been like, oh, shit, they improved a lot. Like, they're over 75%. That's pretty good. All right, yeah. so when we talked about uh, we talked about how they want the, uh, you know, the defense to function in the bottom of that line up there, the third pair, that's a composition's going to come into it, what the role really is going to be. 
we're seeing that with the bottom six as well. We don't, we didn't really have an idea of how they wanted to mix things in. We debated Farabee. I called him a lock last week. You guys told me, ah, maybe not so fast, you know. All the reports about Farabee seem pretty, pretty good. Yeah, he's he's also looking really good. Um, Did I disparage Joel Farabee? I don't think you disparaged. I don't really remember. I just remember saying I included him among my locks to make the team, and everyone was like, well, maybe well, that, not. I, I think that was me, um, okay. and that was just because I didn't think he was a lock going into camp, and yeah. I, I still hold to that. Like, There's a reason why he got sent down in February when they got Thompson and Grant, because with those two guys in the lineup, there wasn't a regular spot for Joel Farabee if Scott Lawton was playing wing on the second line. And if they would have went that route with the lineup, then Farabee was going to be in a tough spot to make the team. The thing is, though, is that Farabee has been fantastic in camp. Like, I wrote in my, my observations on, uh, on I guess, Tuesday's scrimmage. Today's Wednesday. I'm having trouble keeping track of days because I don't get days off anymore. Um, today's Wednesday, so it was Tuesday's scrimmage. I wrote in my observations that, like, it's just impossible to imagine him not in the starting lineup for game one unless he falls off a cliff in, like, the exhibition game and the round-robin games because he has been fantastic at this camp. Uh, every line he's been on has done well in the scrimmages. He looks quicker. He looks a little bit stronger. Like he just looks like a guy who really took the 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 pause, the quarantine, whatever you want to call it. He really took that seriously from a uh, you know from a building up strength and working out standpoint. And he's come back looking like a better player. And I'm sure part of that is also that he was likely a little gassed because it was the longest season he had played uh, by the end of the year. But he just looks more effective than he did for most of the season at this camp. And I think it bodes really well for uh, for the postseason. And it bodes extremely well for his chances of, of being in the lineup because he's, he's earning it. I love that. And I must have blacked out last week because I don't remember having this conversation at all. I definitely would have said that Joel Farabee was a lock, so my bad. Well, I think, like, um, like Charlie and I were kind of saying, like, I was calling him a lock because I thought when he got sent down in February, uh, it was because he was, he was hitting a rookie wall. He played... You just said February. Yeah, I'm, I've taught myself to say it. <laughs> so I gotta do something during quarantine, man, you know? <laughs> I'm impressed. Self-improvement. Well done. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm, I haven't lost any weight, uh, but I, I taught myself how to say the second month of the year, I think. Uh, when he got sent down, I really think he just, like, had hit that rookie wall. And, um, like, what did he play last year between World Juniors and college? Like, 40 games. He played 57 games, I think, between the NHL and AHL. Went through a whole training camp. Did a bunch of, sh- like... I just think he's not really a rookie anymore. I think he's in a tremendous spot. This is pretty much his sophomore season. Like, he just had four months off. Like Charlie said, he got stronger. He's, he's got fresh legs now. He's This is like the beginning of his second year, really. God, yes. Yeah, I just still, think, I think he's, he's still a rookie. God, I love it. Yeah, and technically, yeah, he's he's a he's a freaking rookie. And I just thought like that coming in, he would make himself a lock. Like obviously, anyone who was in and out of the lineup right before the freeze, yeah, probably not a a lock in the coach's mind. I just thought that this was the case, and I think this is what's happening. He was he was gassed, like Charlie said, and now he's not. We know how good he can be. We saw flashes of it. Give me more Joel Farabee. So Lawton, where, where Lawton is figuring in is like the three C right now. 
Um, well, he's so he's kind of bounced around. the The first week of camp, he was the three C. Um, he was centering, believe it was JVR and Pitlick. Oh no, it was JVR and, and AK. That was the third line for the first week of camp into the first scrimmage. Um, then, I love that combo. Yeah, I, I I like that line. I think it's a cool line. Um, then on Sunday they did the first shakeup of the lines, and he was back at wing uh, on a line with Nate Thompson and NAK. So they kept him and NAK together. Uh, they just had him at left wing, NAK right wing, and then Nate Thompson in the middle. Um, and then they moved Derek Grant up to the three C spot. So I'm not sure. Um, you know, one thing that was interesting to me, legitimately interesting to me. Uh, was the fact that the Grant line, so this was Farabee, Grant, and Pitlick, looked fantastic in Tuesday's scrimmage. And I, I, I can't talking say about I that saw line. That I'm like, I don't know. That doesn't sound good if they look so good. Yeah, like, it, but it, I was I was a skeptic of that line. That line just struck me as a weird combination, but it looked very good. I mean, they were they were up and down the ice. Pitlick was flying. Farabee was making plays. Grant was doing little things to keep the team moving up ice. Like... They were effective, and if that sticks, and that's your third line, then it's like, okay, well, maybe you can use Lawton on the wing, but then the problem is, is then I guess that means Thompson is in the lineup, and I don't know if I really want him in the lineup over Michael Roffel, who is out of the top four lines uh, in this most recent shakeup. So it's tough. I mean, I guess theoretically you could use Lawton as the 4C or just kind of have like a 3A, 3B type situation when it comes to your bottom six. When when you're talking about the uh, like the Lawton, JVR, NAK line and then um, the Pitlick line, that seems to me like to two lines that are closer to third lines than fourth lines. Yeah. Like with JVR obviously I think that gives one kind of a uh, kind of more of a third line feel cuz he's a goal scorer, but I just thought of this. Uh can we call can we call JVR uh Lawton and NAK fuck Mary kill? <laughs> obviously Lawton will kill you. <laughs> yep. Um yes, I've decided yes. Uh-huh. NAK, he'll give you a good bang. And yep, JVR, he's got the long-term contract, so you're married. <laughs> Bill, we're doing it. How how long did it take you to come up with this? Because this doesn't seem something that's spontaneous. I just thought of it. Did you really? Mm. Yeah. Props to you. Yeah. This is this is this is what I bring. This is the professional improvisation skills that SB Nation so values. <laughs> Good to hear. <laughs> Steph just unplugs her headphones. <laughs> I'm walking away. So, like, in my head right now, Nate Thompson is the 13th forward. Uh, and Charlie just kind of threw a monkey wrench in that, saying maybe not. But um, Morgan Frost, is he factoring in at all here? I heard he had a good third period yesterday. I couldn't tell who was who at all uh, on my feed. Maybe you guys could see it better live, but with no numbers, it was tough. I heard he had a good third. He was better than in the previous scrimmage. Is Morgan Frost going to make a push? He's had a little bit of a mixed bag camp. I mean, he's had his moments without a doubt where he's made some plays and looked really good. Then he's had some moments where he hasn't looked so good. I, I just, I think he's, I think he goes to Toronto. Absolutely. Like, I think he's on the final yeah. roster. Um, and I think he's just going to be the kind of guy where, you know, where he sort of fits in, in my mind, is he's the guy that comes in if a scorer in the lineup gets hurt or can't play. 
because he brings that offensive element. Like if, uh, you know, if obviously if like Couturier or Hayes went down, I think Frost comes in. But like even if you're talking like a JVR type, you know, maybe they bring, uh, you know, maybe they bring Frost in because they figure they need the offensive punch. Um, you know, if Konechny goes down, something like that. Um, you shut is- your goddamn mouth. <laughs> like, I was fine with you listing all of these players getting injured until you got to Travis Konechny. Konechny. yeah. It is interesting, though, because, you know, we've talked about for a long time with Morgan Frost that, you know, maybe for him to fit in this lineup long term, he may have to play wing. They have not played him at wing like once this year. And that was my next question. Yeah, have and, you and seen him? They're still practicing him exclusively at center. Okay. So that also makes his path into the lineup a little bit tougher. If if they're unwilling to use him at wing, which, I mean, I'm not saying they definitely are unwilling. You know, in the playoffs, you know, it's, uh, to, to paraphrase, uh, what, uh, Lynn Swan, last game of the year, Brent, can't hold anything back now. Um, <laughs> that's Steph a never saw that. I bet you Steph did see the water boy. Yes. Adam Sandler? Yeah, you saw that. Yes. Okay. Every, every, everybody's seen The Waterboy. Um, so maybe they would use him at wing, but if he's viewed exclusively as a center, then maybe he's basically just there in case one of Couturier or Hayes goes down. So there's like a chance we see a Carson Terensky or a Connor Bunneman before a Morgan Frost. Yeah, I think that's fair because it's just going to depend on roles. Like... Connor Bunneman comes in if, you know, they need a fourth-line center because Lawton goes down or Grant goes down, and Torinsky comes in maybe if, like, an all-bay Cubell goes down because he's that, like, same, like, four-checking type who can add some offensive punch. So I think a lot of the uh, the guys that come in, if they come in in the playoffs, a lot of it's going to come down to, you know, player types and roles that they fill. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a straight, like, First guy that comes in yeah. in case of injury is Morgan Frost. Second guy that comes in in case of injury is Connor Bunneman. Like, it's going to depend on who is unavailable. That's what's going to decide which guy comes in for him. I know everyone out there who lived through Dave Haxtall is like, oh, player types and roles, God damn it. But it is nice that we have, like, a, a stockpile of guys who can do all the things well. Like, they're not going to just put some, like, it's not going to be Ryan White on the power play because he's right-handed. They actually have, like, okay, we need a four-checker. Well, he's actually a good four-checker. Like, it, it is kind of nice to have this depth. I don't, maybe seven defensemen isn't the way to go. You guys are kind of convincing me this was foolhardy. Finally. <laughs> that didn't take very long. I, I was never, like, all in on it. I just kind of, like, if they do it for one, like, if they do it in the exhibition game or one of the round-robin games, I will not be shocked or disappointed. I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think they're going to do okay. a, a seven defenseman. Right. I just I don't think that Vigneault likes it, um, and I really don't see it happening in the playoffs. But you never know. Sometimes they do crazy things. Sometimes, you know, Peter Laviolette decides that Zach Ronaldo needs to make his NHL debut in a playoff game. Oh. Hey, he needed to. <laughs> you had to bring that up. It was per- – oh, it was so good. Like, oh, I loved it. So I was so excited for it. Of course you were. They, they they were getting pushed around, you know? They needed a little bit more force. He brought it. Can't get pushed around. Oh, All right, no. I'm done here. Never, never right. changed, uh, Real quick, before we move on to something else, Igor Zamula. How's he looked? I think he's looked good. Um, I actually, 
I've been debating other writers in the uh, in the media room while we've been watching. I I think that he probably doesn't go to Toronto. I don't think he makes the the final roster. However, I would put him on the final roster, and my reason for it is this: if if multiple Flyers defensemen, like top, top end defensemen, like guys like Provorov and Sanheim, if they're down, if there are enough guys that are hurt or unavailable on defense that it gets to the point where someone who is 10th or 11th on the depth chart is going to come in. Jesus. Like, I, I know what Nate Prosser and Tyler Watherspoon are. I know they're not going to help the Flyers win in the NHL playoffs. Like, they may just not hurt them, but they're not going to do anything to give them a boost. Whereas, like, if we're in full-on, in case of emergency, break glass mode because Ivan Provorov can't play and Travis Sanheim can't play and Phil Myers can't play, I'd rather go with the upside guy. I'd rather go with the Igor Zamula because at that point, it's like, well, screw it. We're probably going to lose anyway. We might as well take a chance and maybe win by playing this guy who, like, could be this phenom that will have an immediate impact and be a dynamic player for the team on on the back end. So, to me, it's the plausible upside with Zamula that would, would have me putting him on the roster. That said, if I had to bet, I don't think he makes the final roster. Charlie's just out here killing off our entire team. <laughs> Well, I mean, these are depth concerns. I just want to know, like, what, what, where everyone factors in. Because the team does have tremendous depth, and with the way things worked out, they are bringing in some guys. Like, Zamula was going to, you know, turn pro next year. But here he is, because he's pretty highly thought of prospect. I, I, I'm a big fan. I, I liked what I saw out of him in the preseasons he's played. I, I would like to know what would happen. And... Yeah, it would take multiple injuries for him to get in, so that's that's just kind of the situation we're in. All right, I figure we can do uh, we can do like full um, full like league wide predictions next week heading into heading into everything. But just to break down the round robin opponents a little today, who do you think comes away with the top seed? The Philadelphia Flyers. I'll say Tampa. That's uh, like looking at looking at everything over. We've talked a lot about how Philly matches up with uh, Washington well. Um, Boston, they've played tight, and Pasternak and Katcha haven't been able to practice yet. I don't think it, there's no way they're going to be you know as as up to speed as the Flyers who have been practicing. So I think Boston, that's a tight one. Tampa though. Uh, they haven't beat Tampa since uh, December 29th, 2017. They're one five and three against Tampa over the last three seasons. Uh, two seven and three against Tampa since 1617. They haven't beaten them twice in the same year since Hack's first season. They do not match up well with Tampa, and Tampa just has all that firepower. Uh, obviously, they have their eyes on a Stanley Cup uh, more so than the top seed, but. They are the most talented, and coming into this thing, you would think they're probably the team to beat, even though Boston won the President's Trophy. That, that's who they, it is to me, at least. Yeah, I just... The, the thing that worries me... I mean, guys, this doesn't worry me. It's not, you know, Boston isn't the team I'm rooting for or the team I cover. They're having a lot of COVID-related stuff going on yeah. over there. Like, Pasternak hasn't practiced yet. Kasha hasn't practiced yet, I don't think. Rask had the broken finger or something. Like, they are... 
they could have issues in the at least during the round robin with guys being available to play, and I just worry that that might hurt them. Tampa and Tampa, I just think is the best team, so I'm going to bet on the best team. The Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> of course. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds and like see the other teams in the games and the seeding and everything. It's going to be cool. I'm looking forward to it. I just, I think Tampa in this short thing like just has the most talent. And Flyers could get the second seed. Wouldn't wouldn't be shocked by that. Uh, but uh, man, Tampa's freaking good. Fuck them. Fuck them. I love it. All right, NHL awards, real quick. Uh, the Are we, heart. This show is continuing. We're gonna keep doing this. I, I told you we gotta get in shape. I told you we gotta get in shape. All right. We've been doing one show a week for a little while. Everyone's gonna be working soon. We might even have to do like next week an ice sport. Who's to say? Who is to say, Steph? I have a meeting in nine minutes. You have so. a meeting in nine minutes. Drysaitel, Panarin, McKinnon. Who wins the heart? Drysaitel's gonna win it. He wasn't my vote, but I think he's gonna win it. Yeah, probably. I'm going with McKinnon because that's who I picked before the season. Norris, Carlson, Yossi, Hedman. Who wins the Norris? I think Yossi wins it. I think it's going to be close between him and Carlson, but I think Yossi's going to win it. Was that my pick before the season started? I think it was Bill's. It was definitely mine, but you may have picked him as well. We do this I may have also picked him. I don't remember. Um, oh, no, I picked... Um, uh, Perenko, I think. All right. Well, finally, uh, Brendan Lemieux, the 24-year-old New York Ranger, best known as the guy Kevin Hayes laughs at while Lawton and TK chirp him from the bench, Just somehow got suspended shot. after four months off. That was the fun. When I got that email from the league, I was like, what am I, like, what am I even doing with this? He got suspended and, and there hasn't been a game since March. No, yeah, I guess a, it's this, they just uh, they had the meeting a while ago and just waited to announce or something until the the restart happened. He's suspended for the first two games of uh, of uh, of the Rangers play in series. So I just thought it was funny because it's Brendan good. Lemieux. Fuck them too. Yeah, it's Brendan Lemieux. It's the Rangers. I just thought it was funny. This was a very Zach Ronaldo esque feat to get suspended like after six months of not playing hockey and then you come back and immediately you're suspended like that's something like zach ronaldo's got to be like sitting wherever he is in canada being like man i wish i could wish i would have done that (laughs) no like yeah check junis donskoy so hard in the head that you got suspended four months later (laughs) i can't believe they remembered i can't remember believe they remembered to do anything about it it's shocking to me in the before in the before All right, everybody, that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts, and you will find us. Hit subscribe. Give us good reviews. Boom. That's all we ask of you, and then we give you free content. It's it's a give-and-take relationship. We give and you take. All you have to do is hit subscribe. All right. Five stars. For Charlie and Steph, my name is Bill Matz. Have a great week, everybody.